A Rodney. Keith, I need more cowbell. Mm. Yeah. Why? Uh, just, was, you, uh... you just you just want to talk about um, blue oyster cult? Blue oyster cult? It it was meant to be a prompt for Christopher Walken, but it didn't work. Didn't mm. work. <laughs> need need more so... cowbell. <laughs> Yeah, good the oyster not, cult. Not, not on the same, not on the Don't same part. Yeah. Hey, how would, how would Christopher hey, sing? That was great. Reaper. That was good. But I gotta be honest, fellas. I need more cowbell. I gotta have more cowbell. All right, we're back, season four. My name is Rodney, and I'm one of your hosts. Some would call me a co-host, even. And in this season, we're talking tangentially about politics, but more specifically about shared American ideals, which is a super apparent topic in today's conversation, which I'll tell you about in a minute. That's right. Oh, say can you see, Rodney. I'm Keith, your other co-host. And although today, <laughs> so good, right? Although today, more than ever, we sometimes do forget. Listen, compassion is such a big part of every conversation that we should be, that, that we engage in. And that's why we're here. We want to be your guides to understanding just how to be more compassionate, regardless of what the other person is saying, anchoring you in that compassionate conversation. That's right. So in this conversation with Nov, the poet, Nuv is a wildly talented poet. He's a very eclectic and diverse guy. He loves WWF, I guess E for him, because I was F when, I was, when we were growing up. Right, right. WWE, he likes heavy metal. He likes rap. He does his own spoken word. We talk about the, his, his faith and his religion. He's a Sikh, and he talks about what that means. We talk about the pronunciation of Sikh. Uh, we talk about... Um, what it was like growing up the brown guy with a turban in places where he grew up. We get into so much with him and 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 compassion and, and just love and just a big heart is something that comes off of Nov. And and I would say if you if you are or are not on the TikTok, if it's still around when we we release this, <laughs> I would recommend looking up at Nov the Poet because he's entertaining. Yeah, he, he is, and he is the embodiment of compassion for sure. And before we get to this episode, we just have to remind you, don't forget to check us out at moreincommonpod.com where you can find all our socials, all our episodes, even past blogs. Like we used to blog once upon a time. You can check those out. They still exist. And if you're listening on your favorite pod, podcast app, you know, give us a like. Let's get some more ears on this cause to anchor humanity and compassionate conversation. If you're up for it, share. And certainly, hey, leave us a comment and and thank you for all of your support. So before we get into this episode, I got to tell you a little bit of something that Rodney got me into about seven months ago. One of those things, like he talks about these things all the time and I hardly ever try them. But this one Super in particular... True. Audible, Audible for audiobook listening. Like I tell you, I love reading books. I don't have a lot of time. I got two kids, two jobs. I got uh, you know a relationship that I try to invest in, but I really like to read books. And there's a lot of information out there that helps us learn for our for our business, learn for podcasting, learn for all of the things, or just pleasure in reading. Mm-hmm. And it gives me that space to to listen. So Rodney, thank you for for putting me onto them because I'm excited to put other people onto it too. Yo, man, glad I could help. I love it. I've been doing it for years. I highly recommend it. And I know you do it for, for driving and yeah, I do it for driving in LA and, and honestly, you know, you get to get one book for free. You can, you can send a book to a friend for free. You can return any book if you don't like it. I mean, that's lovely. And, uh, you know, they got a, a trial period going on. You get a free, free membership to start. So, we're going to put a link on our website. Go check it out. Uh, it's an affiliate link. We do get a little bit on the back end, so you're supporting us. We, we really appreciate it. Go to our website, moreincommonpod.com. Check it out. Check it out. Audible. I think the terror comes from our fear of that feeling of 
being unworthy or having no purpose, right? But I feel like I have a purpose. It could be wrong. I could be 100% wrong, and I accept that. But this is what I feel, and the direction I've been going in thus far has not felt or seemed wrong by what, based on what I've done and how people have responded to what I've done. So I continue to assume that the direction I'm going and my purpose that I believe in is a just one. Hello and welcome back to More In Common Podcast. Today we are with Nov, the poet. Nov is a poet. He's a spoken word artist who has been writing and performing since 2011. What initially began as an outlet for personal struggles has turned into a profession where he travels the country and shares his stories, experiences, and art with his audiences to spread his message, break barriers, build bridges, and encourage a deeper understanding of one another so that we may work together to create a better world. So uh, with that, we'd like to welcome you in. Nov, what's up? What's happening? I'm doing well. How are y'all? That was the I'm gonna, that was the whitest what's up I've ever said. What's up? <laughs> hey, hey, bud. Hey, hey welcome. Hey, chief. <laughs> hey, bud. <laughs> hey, pal. Broski. Hey, bud. Uh, um, what, what's happening? How's your week going? How are you doing? It's going well. I'm glad the weekend is here. Um, you know, so not that I have anything planned, but <laughs> it's the weekend nonetheless. Hey, welcome to the show and thank you for joining us. We really appreciate it. We reached out to Nov by we, I mean Rodney, um, TikTok on TikTok, and, and uh, Nov was was gracious and kind enough to say, "Yeah, sure, cool. Let's sure, let's, let's sure, do this brown thing. dude yeah. on TikTok. Yeah. I want to join your podcast. <laughs> I have you no idea what comments. you're about, but that sounds right." So um, we're excited to have him because hey, he's breaking barriers. His his poems and his his stuff is real creative. It's real original and it's 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 awesome to listen to. So there's a lot of stuff I want to get into as it relates to you and your journey in particular, which is a lot of what we try to do. However, since this is our season four, it's all about shared American ideals. Um, you had a recent poem that ties square into this now i'm going to be upfront. i just pulled some lines out of it not to sound bite you but just to get to the question right. so the poem is really good overall um and these points just to, to the question so you recently had it on tiktok and it just happens to be i think you just posted it this month um but it uh it, it, it's, it's relevant so you say far too concerned with gaining approval from my oppressors which i get finally allowing me to reclaim my sovereignty and okay <clears throat> and casting aside the shadows of forced assimilation okay since we're talking about and i love this poem since we're talking about shared american ideals um and your background you what do you see as our current american ideals and what they should be and what we should strive for it's an interesting question because, I mean, I feel like what our ideals are, are, so it's, how do I explain this? Um, I feel like the ideals kind of never change. It was just a matter of actually living up to those ideals, right? And from the start of the U.S., from its birth, we have never really fully lived up to those ideals, for obvious reasons, um, but we've obviously progressed plenty for sure, um, which is always a big part of contention. People think when I critique America, suddenly I don't see all the progression and the good that has come out of it, which is weird, um, but I guess that's just their feelings of connection to the country and their background. I, I don't know for sure, but- um, a, quick, a quick aside on that, uh... There was a good conversation I heard yesterday about that exact thing where a white guy was talking to a black guy and the white guy said, um, I think we should give the benefit of the doubt to white people like that say something like that, maybe. Mm -hmm. And the black guy was like, but you don't understand. You get the benefit like you get the benefit of the doubt. That's standard like as white people. And I don't. So you saying that is privilege like you saying like I should get more benefit of the doubt um so like 
somebody not realizing that when they don't like something, like a white person saying uh, they don't they don't like a thing and they critique it and not uh, allowing or affording others to do the same is a privilege. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, we can talk about that plenty because there was another poem I posted a couple of months back uh, directly critiquing America. And the comments I got on that were colorful, <laughs> to, to put it lightly. Um, but so, yeah, so the ideals, I believe, have never changed. I mean, they're in our, or well, I mean, I guess there have been amendments and things. So we've, we've grown the ideals, but the basic fundamental ideals of liberty life and you know pursuit of prosperity happiness whatever um all those existed you know from the birth of america but we haven't actually lived up to them and we continue to struggle to live up to them um and what was the last part of the question where do you see them going forward like what Uh, do you how do you see i mean i kind of see where you're going with this but yeah we kind of yeah Answered right. by saying that they are that they are it's what they living were. up to the ideals that we've set out to 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 live by. Um, no, I I mean I agree. Uh, John McCain, before he passed, um, has an amazing quote that I certainly don't have memorized, um, but it is very much about that, right? That that principle. I, mean, you, I think you, that's the number one. That's the, like for me. That's at the base of the big the, the misunderstanding. In in like where we are and like when people are like for for me like when i hear like make america great again or something like that it's like wait hold up it was great like and and not saying that there aren't great things but like yo we started this by oppressing by oppressing people like we started with that that poem talked about assimilation and i think that's a big piece of this what what did you mean when you like as you were what were you thinking about when you were talking about assimilation in that no i mean uh, I mean, so first of all, fortunately, I've been uh, fortunate to not have experienced too much discrimination per se, but still, I, my own experiences and hearing other people's experiences where when we talk about the you know discrimination we do face, some people will literally suggest, well, just take off your turban, just cut your hair. And I'm like, why is that the answer? Why wouldn't the answer be they should stop being discriminatory. Don't like discriminate. Just, yeah. yeah. Um, be a nice person. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of it is also just, you know, um, figuring out how to even mesh with my two different cultures because I was, I'm from, well, my family's from India. I was born and raised in the U.S. though. But so when I hang out with my South Asian and Indian friends and my Sikh friends, you know, there's one experience versus when you hang out with non-Sikh, non-Indian friends and obviously i grew up in this community so it meshes like i love rock music and a lot of my friends my indian friends weren't fans of rock music when i was younger so that was this weird thing where i wanted to enjoy this type of music but i got kind of you know looked down isn't the right word but they just kind of were you know not they're making fun of me for liking rock music but then if i play some of my indian music in front of my non-indian friends they're like this is a little weird so it's just this i either have to fit in one way or the other supposedly but then the overall irony is that the u.s specifically really pushes individualism um and so it's it's how people want you to blend in but at the same time we're taught to be ourselves our unique authentic selves and this is promoted all especially now like lately on social media and everything, people really promote you accepting, which I'm totally for. Like I absolutely believe that because that's what I've done. But it's just interesting to me how on one hand we're taught about individualism, but then on the other hand, if you don't do what everyone else is doing, you don't really fit in and get embraced in the same way. Because you talk about belief in self, like where you are now. And I can see it in your TikToks. Like you just like, to me, you look like the most confident person in the world. You're just out here killing it. And but you you say that's not always been so. And I'm curious, like, what's the journey been like for you for self confidence? Can I can I add something to that question real quick? Because you also say pursuing arts in a community that doesn't appreciate the arts. That's gonna be the follow up. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, how do you find that self confidence with all of that dissonance, that that uncertainty? So there are. A couple of factors. I'll actually answer the second question first because it's a little easier and it's shorter, actually. 
Um, but the two biggest things I have in my life are my support of my family, uh, which a lot of South Asian um, kids don't get when they say, oh, I want to be an a actor or whatever field that doesn't go in line with their parents' wishes. Um, and they just don't get that. Does that support. still fall into like the doctor, engineering, like yeah, lawyer, engineer, the, doctor? Those are yeah. the three like biggest things. Um, and I was actually an engineering major uh, prior to um, pursuing you film did. and television. Uh, but uh, so fortunately, when I switched majors and then told my parents, they were like, "Okay." I mean, they couldn't do anything because I'd already switched it. I didn't tell them before I switched, I told them after, cause I was, I didn't want them to influence me in any way, even though I knew they wouldn't say no, they probably would have been like, well, I'll think about it. And you know, and I'm like, no, I, this is, I spent time thinking about it. This is what I feel is right. And so I did it. Um, and they were, they've been totally supportive. My father has a poster of one from one of my shows and uh, taped on his mini fridge at work. He tells all his clients and coworkers awesome. about me. He's like my biggest fan. I love it. I'm so grateful for that. Um, and then my poetry itself is what really grew my self-confidence because I just, like I, I mentioned earlier in the activation questions, the writing just really helped me work through a lot of different challenges I was facing, which actually this kind of answers question one too. Um, so yeah, because of all the different, you know, harassment I faced, not just for my faith, just for me being me, like I liked heavy metal screamo music and that wasn't cool in you know to people so they made fun of me for it i wore all black at one point and oh i'm quote unquote goth or whatever all these stupid comments that i let you know eat away at my self-confidence but it happened and so then when i found my poetry uh i just it awoke awoken it had woken something in me that was i guess always there but i didn't know how to access it and so the more I wrote and the more I then performed, I started writing in 2011. And then at the end of 2011, I did my first performance and I walked off that stage. It was a subpar performance. It was fine. Right. But I walked off that stage thinking, this is what I want to do with my life. That was it. It took one performance for me to know, to answer a question that I didn't have the answer to for 18 years. And I just knew from that point that poetry, writing, the arts, this kind of field, this industry was what I wanted to pursue. And from there, it was just, okay, no one's going to stop me because I know I want to do this. And then through my poetry, I, I grew my, I've been growing my connection to my faith and to, to the divine and everything like that. And that has been my, you know, like just reinforcing support from behind me is just, look, I, so this might sound a little arrogant. I don't intend it to be, but I believe that because writing comes so easily for me. I sometimes write a poem in five minutes and I'm done. And I'm just like, this is great. And I'm not arrogant enough to think that that's all me. My belief is that God is kind of speaking through me, not like a prophet, but just I'm a vessel for God because it's just, it's too easy for me to write poems. It sounds so weird, but it's just, no. it comes so easy. So like it's a gift it, you you've been, Right. blessed with yeah yeah exactly i view it as a gift and so i just view myself as this vessel that god is using to spread the message of peace love equality humanity and so that belief and that feeling of connection to god is just my 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 driving force for what i do so how do you this is something that like this week has been i haven't even told keith or my wife this yet has been on my head quite a bit uh so having a deep connection to um to i'll say passion for some people for others i'll say ikigai like the thing that i'm meant to be doing mm. and then uh spiritually and so like i guess mind body spirit like being in a place with 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 connection and clarity has given me a confidence where I almost feel arrogant and you just brought up the word arrogant. And so my question for you is how do you uh, balance isn't the right word. Like how do you maintain <laughs> some sort uh, of, yeah. Like what? Yeah. How, how do, you, do you let that 
maybe I'm, I think I see I, where you're I, going. I have these negative attribution, yeah. arrogance, like how and confidence. do you be that confident without it being detrimental and you all of a sudden are, you know, just like, yeah, whatever, I got this. And then it degrades the actual right. channeling of God, as you put it, right? So for me, uh, as a Sikh, if you don't know, Sikh actually translates to student or disciple. So oh. we're on this path of constantly learning. Um, so, and then there's a quote credited to Socrates. Don't know if it's actually said, but it's a quote that I kind of live by. And the quote is, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. And when I wrapped my head around that, that concept of no matter how much I learn, I could learn everything I want about one specific subject let's just say right whatever uh, i could learn the everything there is to know about math hypothetically but then there's a thousand other pretty subjects. Smart, dude. sure but there are <laughs> a thousand other subjects that i know nothing about and this universe is so expansive ultimately all my knowledge of math accumulates to nothing in comparison and it's not to say you don't know anything you know what you know but there's just so much to understand about the world, about the universe. And keeping that in my mind is what really allows me to go, okay, I've been, and again, it goes to what I was saying is like, I feel like I'm just a vessel. Like I'm just a shell and I'm just being used essentially as a, as like I'm a servant to God and servants aren't viewed highly per se. Right. But I'm, I, I view myself so I view myself lowly in comparison to God, but I view myself as worthy of being his servant, her servant. Uh, so it's that's kind of how I balance it personally. Do you... So this quote... So this is something I'm forever interested in because I don't experience God. Um, and it's also how I process the world. It's very mentally... Um, how do you experience it? Cause this, this fundamental quote, right? The only thing I know is that I don't know. And you said some, that I know nothing that you said something in there. If I know everything about something, mm -hmm. I still know nothing relative to everything that exists. Is that how you feel and experience your place in this universe as basically just a piece of a broader plan that is maybe God to you? Like, how do you experience it? Yeah, that's about right. Um, I recognize that, and this is something taught in our scriptures as well, is that like we are, you know, we are, we are divine beings, but at the same time, we are, you know, just at God's will. We are, you know, at the mercy of God's will. And so, yeah, I kind of view myself as this really tiny piece. I had this one moment where I was I think I was at a party or something. I was at some restaurant and I just stepped out for a minute and I was looking at this tree, right? And I'm going, this tree is taller than me. Like that's, you know, interesting just seeing the relative size. And then I looked past the tree and I was like, the sky is huge. It's shining with stars. It's huge. And then I imagined past the sky, which is other planets, the solar system, other solar systems, the galaxies. And I was just like, geez, I am so small. Oh my goodness, that is terrifying. <laughs> I get but I that. Think, I think the terror comes from our fear of that feeling of being unworthy or having no purpose, right? Mm. But I feel like I have a purpose. It could be wrong. I could be 100% wrong, and I accept that. Yeah. But this is what I feel, and the direction I've been going in thus far has not felt or seemed wrong by what, based on what I've done and how people have responded to what I've done. So I continue to assume that the direction I'm going and my purpose that I believe in is a just one. This kind of speaks back to the conversation about individualism. Like, how do you, how do you wrap that all together? Hmm. I mean, I believe everyone serves a purpose, uh, and I, I don't mean like just like in small bites. I mean, like we literally serve a purpose to work together with one another and function as as um, communal beings to, to create societies and to create these spaces for people to exist. Um, and but we all just play a different role. Right. You know, some people like myself are in arts. Other people are in science more so than 
law or whatever these different industries, these different sectors of uh, life. And uh, I think we all, if we were all working in conjunction with one another, it would establish a really amazing place. <laughs> Question. Um, in there, I think there's a piece about success. And earlier, Nav, you said you don't like the word accomplish. And I'm curious, like, what do you use instead? Or why don't you like it? Um, cause I, cause Keith was talking about art being valuable, whether or not you make a million dollars off of it. So kind of talking about the process, uh, but how do you look at accomplishment success? Like, what does that mean to you? Uh, well in the context that I use it, which I can't remember right now, I think I just didn't want it to sound like I was demeaning someone for not quote unquote accomplishing. Um, mm -hmm. but, uh, I guess it still does connect to the question of, yeah, I mean, the fact that even one person enjoyed my art back in when I first started performing was success for me because at that time I thought I had no voice and I didn't deserve to have any sort of input and any sort of platform to share my voice. So the fact that one person, two people, or the fact that I performed in front of 350 people in my first performance and they were applauding me for this, you know, what eventually I realized was a decent performance, but it wasn't anything great because it was my first performance, was just that was success for me, that I actually went up there and I performed and I didn't totally fail and people enjoyed it and felt my words and connected with it. The fact that, you know, I get, you know, messages and comments on all my, pla not all my platforms, but different platforms of people just, like, it was sometimes, it's not many, but I get people messaging me about how they really enjoy my work and it really helped them through something or they share it with other people because they really think they can value it or find value from it. That is success for me. I wrote a poem and I posted on TikTok about how I hate slams, like poetry slams, because I don't like the idea of competing my poetry against someone else's. Like competition is always so judgmental just by its nature you have to judge right you have to judge which one's quote unquote better and we like everything becomes a competition you have baking shows you have dancing shows sing, like you're taking art and you're taking talent and just going okay who is better and i'm not saying it's a zero-sum game of or like it's just completely negative but it's our culture is so immersed in that competitive aspect of showing people that are better than one another and i hate that that's taken it's like a poetry's entered that. I get there's benefits to poetry slams and everything, and I think it's cool, but I just don't like the idea of saying, here's my work, now put it against someone else's, when both of ours have inherent value. It's interesting because um, compete is the, the root, the original root of compete. It, um, it means to strive with, to strive with for something. So we've completely bastardized the original meaning mm. of the word compete to. Um, and I think that happens in a Western individualistic society where it's like, well, I've got to prove my value as an individual. So in order for me to be valuable, somebody else has to be less valuable or not valuable, right. um, which I think is some of the danger in in, in being overly individualistic. Um, it's a psychology is... I've had a hard time breaking. What were you going to say now? No, as I say, uh, the point Rodney brought up about it being a Western uh, kind of ideology, I guess, is pretty interesting because growing up in a South Asian community, they are heavily family-based, mm -hmm. community and family-based. Um, but again, we all serve our different, whether it's you know right or wrong is a different story, but typically they're, they're a bit more traditional. So women are typically, you know, they maintain the house and they take care of the kids and and men, you know, work and whatever. And we can discuss that if we want, which it's its own issue. But the point is that everybody kind of functions to serve a purpose to for the family. Like we all mm -hmm. are like anytime I meet new relatives, my parents are just like, oh, those are cousins or those are just your uncles or those are just your aunts. And I'm just like, that's how. And they're like, well, they're actually like from this person to this. Like it's a three person, three degree connection. But we just label everyone as family, as cousins, as whatever, um, mm. which is different, I feel, from a lot of Western culture where it's just like, 
again, it's more focused on, even though you are family and people appreciate family, there's a different value put on family and community in more Eastern uh, cultures. Yeah. Something I want to go back to real quick. So uh, do I. Because we're, we three are creators. We're trying to, we're building platforms. We are successfully building platforms. We're gaining followers, comments, direct messages, emails. Like we're, we're visible. The initial goal was like, if I could affect one person, if one person could say like, man, like I had a better conversation or I considered something that I would have never considered because of the thing you said. Mm -hmm. That's it. That like, that's a victory. How do we keep that mindset? And how do we like, how do we keep ourselves rooted in that when the, the, the brain, the human brain Mm -hmm. is this differential engine in which we're always, it's always comparative. So like, Yesterday I had 20 followers, but now I have 900. And so I, that one as compared to 20 is like, okay, I guess. So I should be affecting hundreds now, theoretically. And if it's not coming, then I'm wrong. I'm doing something wrong. Like, how do we keep the balance of the, frankly, the, the, the hedonic treadmill, as some would say, like of trying to attain more for attainment's sake, um, and at the same time, wanting to grow a platform because we believe in what we're talking about and we do want people to hear what we're saying. And we are part of a broader capitalist society. So if we do want to grow and earn and be a part of it and pay our bills, that, that plays a role in it too. But yeah, I think it's a good question. Yeah. What do you think about that, enough? I mean, I've struggled with this for many years because, um, I mean, poetry isn't something that is lauded after um lauded over you know now it's changing but it's still not the same as someone putting out you know a a music track um so the first few years of me you know putting posting my poetry and everything it was just nothing no responses or few views you did that whatever um and it, it used to really eat away at me i'm just like why like what is what am i not doing and people would be like oh well you need to do this kind of camera work or this and that. I'm like, but that person is doing just camera in their face, singing a song and they get, you know, 10,000 views and I'm doing the same exact thing. But so I realized it's, it's the art form. Right. And I, and a lot of other factors, obviously it's not just one thing, but um, a big part of it is, and this is why it even ties into my whole breaking barriers. Cause there are misconceptions about poetry. I had a conversation with this uh, student at a school once where we were walking around uh, telling people that, you know, I had the show. We were walking down the cafeteria inviting students to come. And this one table, this girl said, oh, I don't like poetry. And I was like, oh, well, what poetry have you ever, you know, read or listened to? And she goes, none. And I'm like, well, you... <laughs> I'm, I'm... And I realized in that like, moment... You like, like Tupac? You like Jay? Like, come on, this poetry. Right. And then she was like, oh, like, you know, stuff in school. And I was like, so Shakespeare? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like... This is the issue in a way with my art form is that the perception of poetry for many people is Shakespeare, Robert Frost, and there's nothing wrong with them. But in today's world, it's hard to connect with that, which is why if you listen to my poetry, I don't more often than not, I'm not really using metaphors or abstract concepts. I'm just talking with a flow. (laughs) Um, Um, I I would suggest actually there is something wrong with them. Um, not in what they've written, right. but in the fact that they are the only examples given. And the examples given are people that look like them and have experiences similar to them. So young folks that don't identify with medieval culture, medi- like uh, there's nothing, that, like there's v- very little for me there except for the uh, literary exercise of understanding uh, iambic pentameter and mm. Shakespearean sonnet. Like, Outside of that, like I don't connect to, um, I, I, yeah, it's just it's there's, so there's a, a problem with the, the diversity of of speakers. Like, why didn't we study Rumi mm-hmm. in school? Why didn't we study Bruce Lee? Why didn't we study like all of these amazing poets who had things to say outside of just and and I see this like um, I mean it happens everywhere. It's just the default whiteness mm-hmm. is it can be limiting. 
Oh, I was just going to say there's an academic egoism that goes into the way we teach and saying, you know, learning Shakespeare makes you what cultured when what is poetry? Well, and right? what is cultured and like, yeah, culture are you talking about like, mm-hmm. and what is, if, if poetry is an expression of language to, you know, to join people together in a form of understanding that's artistic in a way that makes me feel something versus a stale paragraph of that, that doesn't really tell me much. Why wouldn't we also compare Shakespeare to Tupac, like you said, or to whomever else in the pantheon, like in just broadening it out because, you know, to your point, Rodney, I mean, it is there, there's that historical academic egoism that says, no, this is what it is. Mm. It's like, yeah, but it's not. Like that's not poetry. It's just, it's that, that's a default. piece of poetry. Right. It's the yeah. default, uh, you know, culture that's out there. Um, and I don't get me wrong. I love me some Shakespeare, but sure. Uh, right. The uh, there's some. I want to go back. Like so, in your expression of like growing following in in that two year period where it's like, why aren't they paying attention? I think there's something bigger. And then like the way we're sold success especially in us of a is like i have a thing that's great people should like just love it and what it's the veil's coming off of this a little bit but from an from personal standpoint it's still hard the the truth is nobody got to where they were overnight nobody like you know what is it like an overnight success 20 years in the making like or, or whatever years in the making and it takes time to get views it takes time to get follows it takes time to get likes it takes you showing up day in and day out when nobody's showing up it, sh- it takes you being an open mic with like three people yeah. so they can tell two people so they can tell two people like it takes time and it hurts like it hurts when you're putting out your soul and your heart and you're making this content it's like man nobody's like you couldn't even click the like button like what's going down like what do you mean yeah. and <laughs> like um. No, but it's like interesting. The process too. is is hard. It's a grind, yeah. and and I think the the narrative of uh, social media and the overnight success that actually can happen creates this need mm. to have it right. Right. Like, uh, that one person did it that one time, and they went viral. Yeah, it was a something I've gotten a lot. Actually, a comment that people give me a lot is, "Oh, why don't you just become a rapper?" And I go, "Why would I do that? Like, what?" I, it's so weird with with kind of even going with the idea of talking about success is people think that I'll be really successful if I become a rapper, not if I continue to pursue my art as is. It's like, oh, well, then if you fit this mold or if you follow that narrative or this formula, as you were saying, Keith, you know, the people think then it'll work as opposed to, hey, just keep doing what you're doing because they like my work. They say, oh, this is great. You should just put music behind it and make it a cool song. And I have reasons why I don't do that, actually. Um, but it's just this idea that there's only certain, you know, methodologies or certain paths to success. And you always have to some way conform, which I guess in little spurts, yes, we all conform in certain ways. Like I jumped on TikTok. I didn't have to. And if I but if I didn't, you know, I wouldn't be, you know, have, I think, 35,000 followers right now. So it's just. Obviously, there's little ways, but in terms of my art, I don't conform. I think I told you guys when we had that call, the the prep call, everything I put out, I put out because I want to, not because I want to fit some trend or follow some, you know, uh, only topical conversation. Sure, some of my work might be topical at the moment, but I don't put it out there just because it is topical. I talk about these things all the time. Um, whatever subject matter, like these are these are ideas at least going on in my head all the time, which people obviously can't see. So if I put something out about BLM right now, people are like, oh, well, you're just you know pandering to the current conversation. Which, sure, in a way, because I want to add to the conversation or at least continue to support the movement. But I'm not just doing it because this is the moment or because this is the time where everybody's currently talking about it. It just so happened that my idea coincided with, I wrote a poem 
And then I posted it, and a month later, or towards the end of the month, I posted it in the beginning of May. And then at the end of the month, the Ahmad Arbery video came out. And people were watching the video going, they were like responding to the Ahmad Arbery case. And I'm going, I put this video out a month ago. This literally, it's sad that this is so relevant now, even though I wrote it four months ago and just put it out a month ago. Like I didn't intend to. new. Yeah. I wasn't predicting the future or posting this for the trend. I was posting this because this is the issue I see. And what do you know? Another tragedy happens. Like this is the point that my art is even making that we shouldn't keep having having these tragedies. And so it was just interesting that people and people responded because you know how TikTok works, where you can sometimes see a video that's been posted a month or two later. So yeah. like even with after what happened with George Floyd, people were responding with George Floyd, and I'm like, that's how can people still miss this? Like I posted this two months ago now and people still find it relevant, which yes, two months isn't a long time, but the point is that it remains relevant in our, our social zeitgeist um, for a long time and it has been relevant. I'm just putting it out as I see it. Everything I post is prepared and thought about and worked on. And there are videos that I've shot and then I go, eh, I don't want to post it because I just don't want to. It has nothing to do with the conversation. I just don't feel it in my heart to post it for whatever reason. Um, so what does what does conforming mean to you now? Great question because I've struggled with that for a long time. Um, I think it just means doing certain maybe not certain things, but just doing things for the sake of doing what other people want. I guess conforming is doing what other people want in the most basic sense. So if I, uh, I've had relatives who told me I should go back to studying engineering because it's more lucrative and more stable. So if I did that, I would be conforming to their, their values or their ideas of what success is. If I became a rapper as opposed to staying a poet, I'm conforming to what people think will help me, you know, boost my views or whatever it is. If I cut my hair, I'd be conforming to society. Like all these things people tell me. If I started doing these trends, I never do trend videos on, you know, some people will use like a song that's trending to express whatever they, you know, maybe they're even talking about a serious message. I never do that. I just feel that's conforming to whatever the, you know, current trend is or whatever the current, you know, fad is. And it's just, even if I used it to fit a message, I just don't do that. It's just not my my style. There's a what do you think it is, Keith? What's that? What? How do you think of conforming? I think as Nub is saying that, um, and it's a great question, um, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. But to before I ask you back, like we all conform, sure, right? Like I mean, Nub conforms to the sick faith, you know. Sure. You, you don't cut your hair. I conform to a professional environment where I'll maybe wear suits a lot because I'm comfortable. I think where we lose that space is when we don't conform to the things that we most identify with, right? Like um, the when I now, like so when I was in my early 20s and I would show up to work, like I would, I would love to wearing suits right? Yes, I'm conforming, but I felt good in it. Now I hate it. Mm. Like, and I don't want to make that. And so if I'm continuing to do that, I am conforming to your point to what you want as a different group than what I want in whatever ecosystem I want to live in. Mm. And um, so I think, you know, we all conform, but it's a matter of aligning your confirmation to who you are. Yeah. I, like that. I agree with you both, and I think it's far more nuanced than we tend to make it. You know, I think on the surface mm -hmm. layer, it's it's the ex like, do I do what other people are saying externally? The next layer down is like, what's my internal conforming? And then the layer below that, and I think probably the most the one one that I'm aligning with more now is, am I doing this consciously or subconsciously? Like, do have I like if if my aunts and uncles are like or in your example, if your aunts and uncles are like, hey, be an engineer, like there could come a point at, in your life or somebody's life where it's like, you know what, I'm not able to 
achieve the things that I want and becoming an engineer would mean I would make X salary and I would be able to do these things. So I'm making a choice for me. Is that conforming to them or society? Like, cause there are realities of things, whether or not we personally identify with them. And I think it's, you know, I think it comes down to an internal decision and, but I think most of us look at conforming from an external lens, like, mm-hmm. oh, he's just, he sold out. He's just doing that because right. that's paying the bills. Like, and then, and then inevitably when we have the same decisions, like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. Cause it's going to set up my kids and my grandkids. Like, um, you know, it's, I, so I think it's just highly nuanced. Um, no, I think, um, you bring up a valid, like conforming isn't always a bad thing. I was going to say, we do put a negative connotation on conforming almost inherently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. There's more layers to understanding the, the idea of conforming. I think, I think, and I'm going to go back to the whole individuality and the false narrative of individuality. Individuality in that narrative teaches us conforming is a bad thing mm-hmm. because if we conform, again, we align to a broader identity, which in of itself will be a bigger identity than those in power who are a much smaller group. And thus you have opportunities to rise up and, and take power. And I don't mean that in some revolutionary way. I just mean that in a rising, a rising tide, tide floats all boats. Right. Which kind of goes against our biology a little bit. Like we, yeah. we, you know, kind of looking at the Eastern traditions, like we are tribal, we are group animals. Um, we all have different skills and abilities within that group. And if, but when you, when you try to thrive as that, that's that single individual on an Island, it's not possible. So there, they think there's a conflict inner and outer with the, with individualism. And I have um, a question that I've been dying to ask Nov, um, if it's all right, because it kind of diverts away from this. So I don't know if there are any other thoughts. Um, You talk, we talked about the belief in yourself and building that it came from that time you got on stage and afterwards you realized that was, how'd you get on stage? What do you mean? Like if, it was after you got on stage and you read the poem you and you realized like this is what i want mm-hmm. this is where i want to be what was it before you got on stage what How drove you, you to actually get there first hmm cuz well, if you didn't have the confidence before you especially got it after, when you like, say the gap you know what yeah. i'm saying like in your early days you said i didn't deserve like so you have that underlying psychology of feeling like you're not worth enough Mm -hmm. to then stand in front of a bunch of people and read words that you're writing on a piece of paper yeah so uh i performed at this uh community event for sick youth to express their arts and really just build community awareness about different issues in our community um and i had attended that event in 2010 and i saw for the first time people that looked like me performing hip hop and showing off their art and doing arts. Like I did not see that in my community for my whole life up until that point. Um, And so that kind of was, and that was at the end of 2010, like December. So it slowly kind of sparked creativity within me amongst other things of dealing with, you know, my own internal struggles. And so uh, I started writing early, mid 2011. And uh, by the time the end of the year came around, I saw that they were, you know, accepting uh, submissions to perform um, if people were interested. And I, I don't, I think it was partially seeing those guys before. And I was just like, why not? Like what just, I was also watching a lot of uh, Def Jam poetry on YouTube. So just seeing more people perform. And I just thought, what the heck just just do it like you're terrified i was clearly out of my mind <laughs> when i was thinking about it but i just said what's the harm just see what happens you know go for it you don't it's just a performance it's not i mean i was like i don't even know if i'll get accepted first of all so who knows so just 
send your submission in and see what happens. And, you know, it, it, they accepted me, thankfully. And uh, I was just like, all right, I guess I'm doing this. <laughs> um, and it, I have never really performed in front of a crowd at all up until that point. And then I performed in front of 300 plus people for my first performance, which was just insane. Um, but I, I think writing was really compelling me to do something with that writing. I wanted to do more than just write. And so it just kind of kept nudging me in the back. My writing was almost just, or in my view, it was just, God was just like, look, just, just go do it. Just, just go. Just, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I went up on that stage and then that was, you know, that was, I walked off so confident in what I was feeling about my art and about what I wanted to do. Um, I, I, there's no other way to describe what compelled me to do it. I was just, I, I think I was exploring. Oh, no, wait. So for whatever reason, I was exploring doing different things at that time because I was in such a rut emotionally and mentally. And I thought maybe I should just get out a bit. And so like I would attend some uh, college events. Like I went to a bingo night. And I was like, this is actually really cool. Free food and people hanging out and having a good time. It's not that bad. Um, and then I got involved in different organizations. So I was starting to slowly branch out. And I, I just saw this as another step in my desire to change things up for myself because I followed such a routine of just being so closed off to myself. And so I was just like, let's see what happens. That's, um, I love that story for so many reasons, but I think it's, it's a, a, a great example of the realities of life is we spend a lot of time. What do you want to do when you grow up? Right. That, that whole conversation. And we think about it. We spend a lot of time thinking about it. And then we go to school and we learn some math and, you know, some geometry and some algebra. And we learn about some poets, right. And I say some, you know, the, Shakespeare's and, and the Pope, the Edgar Allan Poe's and, and then we learn about history and, you know, you know, the watered down version of history in many cases. And we learn about these, all, all these things. And then we're told to think about what we want to do in life. And, and this is just a reality that I've only learned in the last two years um, from this is just got to do stuff. And if you have an idea, try it. If you don't like it, move on, try something else. And you know, because you're never going to find out what it is you want to do when you grow up unless you actually do it first. Yep. And I would love for, it's kind of a total tangent, but my vision of uh, school would be to have way more mandated classes of different fields, at least one course, just to get people to have a taste of law, of film, yeah. Of, of history and a sense of like being a historian or something like that. Like there's so many fields and we don't get to explore them. So by college, we don't really know what we want. I don't think it's fair. Anybody can really say they know what they want to do because they haven't been exposed to just even a modicum of the gambit. Modicum? I think it's modicum. Yeah, modicum. Modicum of the yeah, gamut. Sorry. Gamut. Um, of what, what can be done. Like when I stud started studying film, genuinely thought it was just like a camera person actors director boom that's how you make a film and then i realized there's editors there's costume designers set designers casting directors writers there's so many different carpenters grips electricians like exactly there's so many positions so like when that it even actually made me more motivated to encourage people to go into the arts because i was like look you could if you're great at like painting or drawing you could be a set designer like you could do that or you could go into the digital arts and be learn how to create sets that way and use CGI and things like that. Like you don't have to be an actor because a lot of people's minds is just, oh, you're an actor. When someone's like, oh, I'm going into film, that's typically what you're going to think. Actor, maybe director, but there's just so many options. It's so limiting how most many of us learn. I mean, basically, I took what my parents did as options. And I was good at math. So I was like, well, my dad was studied engineering and I'm good at math. I'm going to be an engineer. Oh, and well, and I wanted to be an astronaut. So that kind of it's like, oh, engineering is a route. So stars aligned. And then I get there and I'm like, nah, this isn't what I want to do. Like, 
it's just it's a poor vetting system that we have it's not it's not even vetting it's just like hey kid you know you're in the counselor's office in high school it's like hey kid here's a dart throw it all right cool Mm -hmm. you're going to be a teacher right Mm -hmm. i mean in that go ahead nev even with your astronaut example like we always think about if you see a movie or a show about astronauts you always think about the guys in space you don't think about the guys on the ground guys or, or girls on the ground that are managing all that like that's an important my my brother-in-law works for nasa he is an engineer however he works in finance turns out there's money involved (laughs) (laughs) but i mean this is something i've actually thought a lot about as it relates to sports because you know when you think about sports if you love sports well then what is it be an athlete right um but you know, maybe you could be a coach, an assistant coach. You could be a writer. You could be, you can do so many things in and around sports, but we're just not exposed to it. Or the the ones that we are exposed to, we downgrade. Like you look at a high school football coach, right? High school football coach may also be your PE teacher, right? And so it's like, well, I'd really have to be a PE teacher. Um, and and you start looking at these things in in ways that, we're not looking at holistically as opportunities to do whatever it is you want to do. Um, Super quick aside on that. I remember wrestling in high school and like getting injured, going to the trainer to get like my ankle wrapped or whatever. Yeah. And there were students in there that were like student trainers. And I was just kind of like, eh, why aren't you an athlete? And some of them were, but, but thinking about what you just said, like they were far more aligned yes. w- with who they wanted to be because they were like, I want to help people. Like, I want to help. Like, I see you out here trying to score a touchdown or whatever. I want to help you or help the team or help the school, et cetera, et cetera, and learn about ways to do that um, versus me. I was like, well, I got to be an athlete because that's what a man is. And, you know, like, blah, blah, blah. Right. Speaking of that man comment, because I I didn't know how I was going to fit it in, so I'm going to fit it in because there are a couple of moments. But you talk about the, the community. Um, Can I say this, one quick oh yeah thing? sorry uh, sorry it yeah. goes back to this it um goes to the conversation about what is success right like if you're going to be a performer a singer a dancer you think oh i gotta be beyonce quote unquote like you right. gotta be but what's wrong with being a backup dancer for beyonce there's that's amazing like what is make wrong a lot with that? of money yeah we always think we have to be the center we have to be the focus we have to be the quote unquote star individualism no yeah that's a good point um but you you mentioned before about the the female male dynamics um and um you also have a game show (laughs) (laughs) oh yes i love it i want to i want to do it i want to do a collaborative game show with you yeah that directly attacks if you're interested in playing a contestant that I would am. be great I, I am I, and I I can play Chad I can play Brad <laughs> I can play Brian you know I'm, I'm, I'm watching actor. you do this and I'm like Nuv this is not marketable bring yeah. me in because I'll be that guy please oh yes okay great I was gonna ask people like I I would love to have someone play a different character it saves me time first of all because I do costume changes <laughs> and everything yeah yeah and it's totally just, game some of my favorite not look like like the collaborative stuff yeah totally game for that yep okay um but you have this game show that directly attacks gender biases in traditional roles and the, the subjugation of women um how how have you come to that conclusion especially growing up in a culture that uh, I mean, you didn't really dig into it, so I don't want to. It is safe to assume it, that almost every culture on this planet subjugates yeah, women. Sure, no, that's fair. Um, but directly, still, may, traditional female mo- uh, uh, in the kitchen type type of like how? Where have you come, and how have you gotten to that to that space? And how is your family support your game show? <laughs> I don't know if they've actually seen my game show. I need to send <laughs> it to them. But uh, I mean. Th- even in my family, like, even though it's not in a degrading way, and my father yeah. cooks, he's an amazing cook, love when he cooks, but, like, typically my mom is the one who's in the kitchen making the food, and she takes, sure. obviously took care of us when we were kids, because 
especially as an immigrant, like my dad came here, he started working and then uh, later on he got married and brought my mom over and everything. So it was just that dichotomy, that, I don't know if is the right word, but whatever, that was the setup, right? So he would work and she was just at home. And so, I mean, there was nothing, you know, malicious about the way it was set up, right? It was just, that's just how they functioned and that's mm -hmm. how a lot of families function, maybe just because it's a simple structure. Um, the issue is that it then becomes this uh, mentality and this bias, especially for like my generation, like talking to my friends who are women and their experiences and how they have to deal with always being the one who gets the responsibility and always being, you know, if someone comes over, they're always called and asked to get the guests any, you know, whatever beverages or blah, 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 help out in the kitchen, prepare the food. And like women are always serving the food and the men are always eating first. And then the women come in and it's just, it is pretty rampant in our, in the South Asian community. Um, and maybe it didn't again, start maliciously, but a lot of people then, you know, internalize that in their head and, uh, when it comes to other things more so is like believing women when they express things about, you know, sexual harassment, those, that's where it really becomes, you know, evident how biased they are. Like, so an issue that exists in India um, and other Asian countries from what I've read is um, uh, like female infanticide. And so they will literally like, get rid of babies just because they are female or have them aborted because mm -hmm. they are female. And in India, they actually passed a China law to ban this. So it's clearly an issue. Otherwise they wouldn't have had to pass a law to ban this practice and it still takes place. So these, this mentality of, of, of male superiority definitely exists. Um, again, fortunately I didn't grow up with it. So, so maliciously, but it was there and has always been there. Um, so that just, is something I slowly became more and more aware of. Uh, and then obviously being, you know, I'm in my, I'm 27 now and over the past, especially since I got into poetry and I've met more women who are way more cognizant of this thing and they express their own perceptions and experiences even of these issues. And so uh, it was easy to really see how much of an issue it is and the fact that even in, especially in my my faith really talks about there's certain paragraphs in our scriptures that talk about the importance of women and how women are just as equal and important. So that kind of uh, reinforced my view, which culminated in this lovely game show. <laughs> Two I love that, though. really quick <laughs> thoughts. One, it's so insidious because like, say like even the immigrant thing, like your dad coming here or your family, come, your dad and your mom coming here, the way American society is set up, men make more than women and have for a very long time. And so even if she had a good job or, or had skills, her ability to support the family would be less than. So the logical decision is man works. And so it forces the cultural dynamics even further, which then reinforces confirmation bias for people who have the thought that women are less than and it just then it keeps looping and circling in this like horrible cycle um of of just shite but uh i i love how you shared the that that was a good it's a good share man it a, yeah it was a good share good 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 journey on that and you know you also add into the educational now uh, I, I'm going to be a teacher because I'm not good at math, right? Like that whole, you know, girls aren't as good at math and we perpetuate that in schools mm -hmm. and it leads to, well, I'm going to be a teacher and we underpay teachers or I'm going to be these professions that, you know, now, oh, well, it makes sense that I stay home and, you know, these, these things that continue to be things to break down. But now we have crossed our time limit we're actually at it um so i want to say first thank you for a very fun and indulgent conversation um so weird it was like awesome. lighthearted but deep i don't know yeah. if that yeah. if you guys feel that i do and and it felt really good as yeah. it as it always does um so i'm looking forward to collaborating so yeah. you have to wait. definitely don't don't um 
hesitate to reach out even if it's tomorrow. Uh, well, maybe not this weekend. It's birthday weekends, right? But we can start next week. Um, but we always ask one last question before we go. So now that this is your audience, what do you want to leave them with? What nugget of golden goodness do you have? I don't know. That's a, probably the toughest question you've asked me so far. Um, because even to an extent, I don't overvalue what I say. Mm. I just believe in it for myself. And if other people vibe with it, if other people enjoy it, uh, then awesome. But I also don't expect people to automatically agree with it. Uh, but I guess... So let me ask you this then. Let me, let me switch it. Okay. What would you say to your younger self? Hmm. I would tell my younger self, first of all, he's an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I get that. <laughs> Depends on what age, too. Like, if I'm talking to my 18-year-old self, I would tell him that, yes, you made some mistakes in your life, um, but it's okay. And I, because I, I don't want to spoil it for him. I want to promise him that you will figure it out. I don't want to spoil it and just be like, oh, you're going to become a poet and it's going to be one. No, I want to leave the, the, the discovery to him still. But you're going to figure it out. I tell my 18-year-old my self that. Um, if it was my 16-year-old self, different conversation, which <laughs> um, just requires way more, way more to share because maybe I could avoid the mistakes I made back then. <laughs>